Hello everyone, it's Pastor Steve again, uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Whether you're listening on Wednesday night or not, it's still Wednesday night Bible study. So I hope everybody's well, I hope everybody's doing good, I hope everybody's wearing your mask, washing your hands, staying inside, all of that good stuff they're recommending for us. So this is going to be our, I believe our third podcast and we're going to continue to do this, uh, for a while. Uh, also, remember to uh, drop me a, a an email or phone call or something. Let me know how these podcasts are going. But also, if you have any questions about anything, especially on the podcast, um, send your uh, your questions in. And the following week, the following podcast, I can answer those those questions because we can still interact. Just because we're not face to face doesn't mean we can't interact. I'd still like to interact and. Uh, I won't mention your name if you don't want to, but I will mention what you look like, so people will know. But anyway, uh, please send your um, your questions and uh, and concerns in. I would just like to know. I'd like to uh, be able to address those. So tonight, as always, we're gonna we're in the Gospels. We're putting the four Gospels together as we have been, so that we get kind of a more rounded picture of the Gospels. And again, just for for clarity, the reason we do this. Is because not all the Gospels tell exactly the same story the same way, or some of the Gospels might leave something out. For example, tonight we're going to be talking about the parable of the lost son. That is only in Luke. Matthew, uh, Mark, and John don't address that at all. So if we don't go to Luke for that, we don't get that story. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this, is, is to bring... Um, tell the story in the Gospels and maybe put things together in a way uh, that if we were just reading one or two of the Gospels, we wouldn't get the complete story. So this way we're going to kind of get everything together. Uh, And again, remember, theology. We're doing theology here. Theology is, who is God? What is God doing? This is very important. And tonight, look at as we're reading and discussing this, what is God doing? And then the other part of that is, where am I? Where is the church in relationship to what God is doing, to what God is saying, what God is directing us to? That's kind of basic theology there. So tonight we're going to start with a lighted lamp. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verse 34. And also I remind you on the website, there's a link right next to this message. You click on that link and you will be able to get my handouts. So you'll be able to print those or look at it, whatever you need to do so that you will have the, uh, uh, the handouts there. So the gospel of Luke chapter 11, I'll be starting in verse 33, just for continuity. On your handout, it says 34, but I'll start at 33. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, in order that those who enter may see the light. Verse 34. The lamp of your body is your eye. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it shall be wholly illuminated, as when the lamp examines you and its 
raise. So what we're talking about here basically is to examine yourself, your eye, the way you look at things should be clear, should not be tainted. Uh, you know, we are called to look at ourselves and what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. This is also what we do when we repent or when we confess our sins. We take a look at ourselves. Now remember, Jesus, when he's giving these teachings, he's addressing and and giving these teachings to his disciples, his apostles, those that are going to be starting the church, those that are going to be uh, going out preaching the gospel, but also for us. You know, when we do things, you know, our motivation, why do we do what we do? Let's look and examine why we're doing it. Are we doing it just so that we feel good? Or are we doing it because God has commanded us to do it? So this parable here of the lighted lamp, uh, you know, it's kind of look at your motivation, look at yourself. And also, theologically, are we moving in God's direction? You know, assess what we're doing. Why are we doing what we're doing? You know, think about it. Uh, so this is parable here of the lighted lamp addresses that. And then moving on, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. And Matthew says something here that kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 12. This is talking about sin against the Holy Spirit. This particular passage sometimes gets debated or we're concerned about it. What does it actually really mean? Matthew chapter 12 verse 31 and 32. This is the sin against the Holy Spirit, or sometimes it's referred to as the unpardonable sin. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now this is where the debate begins. What is speaking out against the Holy Spirit? What is blasphemy uh, against the Holy Spirit? Well, like I always tell you, understand Scripture in the context in which Scripture was given. Understand it uh, as, as as it was, was originally related. So, what is the context of the Scripture? It goes back to something that we read last week. Go back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, and now understand it in the context in which it's given. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 30. It says, Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed to begin to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Remember last week we were talking about this and we're explaining it. If you didn't get last week's message, I encourage you to go back because we explain this passage uh, in depth and detail. Verse 25, And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself 
shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall its kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is important. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You know, that's the context of what he's saying here, because now we go into verse 31 and it talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Basically, in the bottom line on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is giving credit to something or some someone else for something God has done. You know, it's it's you know, we didn't luck out. You know, it just wasn't chance. We just didn't roll the dice on it. You know, you give credit, honor, praise, and glory to God for what God has done. No one else. And this is an important thing because understand that Scripture is given by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we start denying Scripture, when we deny that it is of God, from God, when we deny the power of Scripture, there's a danger there because now you're entering into denying the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is going to also be very important for the church age because the church age hadn't started yet when this was given. But remember, they said to you, last week and probably even the week before, that Jesus' ministry now, as he's getting closer to the cross, the things he says, says are very much harder to handle. They're much more detailed. They're stronger. He's basically ratcheting up what, what he's saying to the uh, disciples and to his, his, his apostles. He's getting them ready for the cross. He's going to be leaving, so the things that he's saying are much harder to handle, are much more detail-orientated. Uh, and so understand it in that, in that context that, you know, the church is going to be growing. It's going to be, uh, uh, moving forward. And so the things that he says to, to the disciples, the things that he says to us and how we are to carry out the work of, of, uh, the ministry. For example, in the Old Testament, you know, the Holy Spirit was just on a few for a specific task, like, Abraham or Moses or David or, 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 or Jeremiah or whatever. It was task orientated. Once they com- completed the task, the spirit was gone. Now, because of Acts chapter two and, and ministry going forth, uh, and also which is in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that we receive uh, power, and that power is the Holy Spirit that allows us to do ministry and is there with us to do ministry. So we cannot deny that power is there for us. Uh, and this is how we're able to do ministry. This is how sermons uh, are put together by the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, you know, when I deliver a sermon, I, I always tell you, the sermon is for me. I just get to share it. 
Uh, you know, but people come up to me afterwards and they say, oh, God ministered to me this way. He ministered to me that way. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me what, what God can do in the, in the delivering of a sermon. I remember I would hear sermons before I was pastoring and I would say, I don't know what everybody else is doing here, but this sermon is directly for me. But I think every individual could say that. But you see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that's able to do that. So when we start denying that power, that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this is very important for the church age because God ministers to us and through us via the power of the Holy Spirit, which ties into the next part of this, the help of the Holy Spirit. So turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'm reading verse 26. But I wanted to encourage you while you're home and you have a lot more time to study your Bible, do a little study on John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Uh, it's a beautiful discourse there of Jesus talking about, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is there to help us and guide us. And and then in chapter 17, Jesus prays over his disciples, but he also prays over the church. But I encourage you to read John 14, 15, 16, and then 17. Read it in its, in its context. But tonight for our discussion, we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 14, we're reading verse 26. And it says, but the helper, notice capital H, meaning deity, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, go back to verse 16 of chapter 14 of John's Gospel. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you for ever. Notice, he says, I will send you another helper. Well, who was the first helper? Well, in the Old Testament, it was God the Father. In this context, Jesus is saying, I will give you another helper. Jesus is the helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. So the point here is that when, you know, when we understand Trinity and you get a good view of the Trinity in, in John 14, 15, and 16, you don't get the word Trinity spelled out for you. You don't get it in one nutshell, but what you get is a mound of evidence for triune God, that God the Father is our helper. Jesus Christ is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our, our helper, just as Jesus was in in the beginning of creation, just as the Spirit of God was there present at creation, uh, and God the Father was there at creation. You get this package now, you come away with an understanding of a triune God. So what it says there is that you don't want to blaspheme against this helper, because this is the one that's going to guide us into Jesus' teaching. The Holy Spirit is now going to guide us into what we do as a church and enable us as ministry. So we do not want to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our guide, our comfort, is the one that is with us. Uh, you know, Acts chapter 2, uh, that when the Holy Spirit now fell upon the church, not just an individual, but fell on believers. Why? To enable us and help us to go out and do ministry. And this is the importance of the Holy Spirit that 
things that we do are now by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now on the inside of us. Now it's not your conscience. It's not why you just had a a thought that told you you should do this or you should do that. You have to understand the Holy Spirit is now indwelling on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is now to guide you. Holy Spirit is there now to teach you and help you. This is why it's important to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. It's important to not speak out against the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit, God in Christ on the inside of us now teaching us and leading us okay so let's switch gears a little bit i'm going to go into the next three sections here which are going to be a little bit longer but i want to talk about the parable of the mustard seed so go back to luke chapter 13 luke chapter 13 you know all of these stories aren't in just one particular section. Sometimes you'll have a block of teaching altogether, but sometimes we're going to have to bounce around back and forth to kind of get a continuing story here. So this is what we're doing here. We're in Luke chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 18 to 18 and 19, maybe 20. Let's see what we have here. Luke chapter 13, verse 18. Therefore he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And then verse 20, it says again, he said, And to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? You know, this is what we're talking about here, the kingdom of God. That realize Jesus is teaching. What is he doing? Not only is he teaching us, you know, about who he is and and giving us revelation that he is God, uh, sent by God. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. But he's also preparing his disciples and his apostles and us for the work of the church. And we have to understand that. Theologically, what is he doing? He's preparing us for the work of the church. Now, the church is just the gathered people. It's ecclesia. It's the, in Greek, it's the gathered ones, the called out ones. When we come together, we become the church. But when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what we enter is the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus is our king and we are the subjects of the kingdom the kingdom any kingdom uh, has a king jesus is our king it's not a democracy where you get a vote whether you want to do it or not or what we're going to do this week no it is a kingdom and god rules his kingdom we enter that kingdom and we follow what god says and so god is laying out for us through scripture what he expects of us, what he wants us to do. So in this passage, therefore, he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? You know, because again, the disciples are going to be going out and talking about and preaching, you know, the gospel and the kingdom of God. Uh, and this is what we do. What is it like? And he has an interesting thing here. He says, it's like a mustard seed. Now, if you know... 
what a mustard seed is, you know it's very, very small. If you've never seen a mustard seed, when you have the opportunity, uh, you know, to go to the store, go to the spice section and look at mustard seed. And it's going to be in a very small container. And a mustard seed, if you're looking down at your notes that I supplied for you, a mustard seed is about the size of the bullet point there where it says uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 18 to 20. That little bullet point, that's about the size of a mustard seed. And some of you were probably in church where I think maybe a year ago, two years ago, I did a teaching on this particular passage, and I gave everyone a mustard seed. And I said, take this mustard seed and then and, and, uh, get some scotch tape and put it in your Bible so that every time you open your Bible, you're going to see this, have this little mustard seed and you're going to remember the teaching. Well, a mustard seed is very, very small. Verse 19, it's like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God, which a man took and grew and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree. This small little seed becomes a tree. It becomes very large. And it says, And the birds of the air nested on its branches. So what's the point here? That the mustard seed is very small. Christianity starts out with just one person. Jesus Christ going on the cross. And now look at what it has grown into it is very 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 large and so uh you know think about it for a second why does the whole world celebrate easter why does the whole world celebrate uh christmas something happened to change the whole world there and realize that it started out with just one person you know christianity if you take jesus christ out of christianity there is no christianity if you take buddha out of buddhism you can still have buddhism you know if you take muhammad out of islam you can still have islam but if you take jesus out of christianity there is no christianity and so it started with one person that he was that seed in a sense now what happens when a plant uh grows from a seed the seed dies And this is what happens. You plant a seed in the ground and the seed actually dies. It opens up and it becomes something else. And out of that springs forth this vine. And this is what we're talking about here. That when the death of Jesus Christ, now something came forth out of that. What comes forth out of that is the church. And so what is the kingdom of God like? It's like the seed that was planted, this very small mustard seed, and it grows into this large plant. But notice, what's what's the end result? That the birds of the air uh, nested in its branches. Now it's big enough that it supplies comfort, that it supplies relief, that it supplies a place for, for, for the birds of the air to dwell. The idea here in this parable is the church is supposed to grow and be a place where people are should be able to come and find refuge. It is a place where uh, people should find resources. For example, in the early days of the church, the church was a resource when people needed something. People didn't go to the government. 
There were no government programs for, for people uh, going way back when. If you needed something, the church was there to supply. The church was there to help people. So the point here is, what should the church be? It should be a place where people can come and receive resources and help as needed. That's why right before all of this uh, uh started with this coronavirus stuff, you know, we were in the process of doing what? Setting up a pantry. We were in the process of, of learning how to do skid row ministry and help people uh, that are in need. And this is what's going to happen once we congregate together again, once this is all over, hopefully in a, in a few short weeks or by June, whenever it is. Uh, hopefully it's by, by June. Now it looks like we're going to be shut down uh, through May or sometime in May, maybe we can open back up. I don't know. But whenever that is, uh, we'll come back together. But the point here is the church should be supplying the needs of people. And notice the way God set this up. This is so proud, so profound of God that if the church is the supply house, if the church is that where people come to receive relief, well, what happens? It's an automatic people come and what are they going to get? They're going to get the gospel. They're going to get the good news of salvation. People are going to get saved. They're coming to the church for the resources. But what do we give them? Those resources. But we also give them the gospel. It's a win-win situation. It's a classic way for the church to grow. We don't have to come up with 20 reasons or, you know, 40 days of this and X amount of days of that and this program and that program. Meet the needs of the people. The people come and you give them the gospel. And then you integrate them into the church. This is God's plan on how you do that. But that's what this parable of the mustard seed is about. You know, Christianity, the kingdom of God, starts out very small with one person, Jesus Christ. But then it grows into this thing that is huge and that it is able to support uh, and sustain and, 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 and help people. This is where the, you know, the idea of Christian charity came from. You know, years ago, whenever something would happen, the first responders, the first people that were there right away were the church with supplies and with, with, with needs for people. And so, uh, you know, the first people shouldn't always look to the government uh, for help. People should look to the church. But if the church is not supplying those needs, the people won't look to the church. They'll look somewhere else. So we should be a vessel. Again, theology, what is God doing and where are we in response to what God is doing? We should be responders. We should have things set up for people so that they can look to the church as a source. And when they come, they get the gospel and they're integrated into the church. That's the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, let's look at the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, because this also goes along with teaching for the church. Now again, remember, theology, we're looking, what is God doing here? Uh, what, what, what is all of this about? God is building his church. He's preparing his church for ministry. He's preparing his church for work. And so now we have this parable of the lost son, or sometimes known as the parable of the prodigal son, or it's known as the parable of the wasteful son. But I'll be reading uh, Luke chapter 11, verse Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. So verse 11 
says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For his for this son of mine was dead, and has come to life again. He was lost, and has been found. And they began to make merry. They begin to celebrate. Now notice what happens here with the other son. Now the older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, and he was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid I have that I might make merry with my friends. But he but when his son, the son of yours came, who was devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost, but now he is found. In this parable of the lost son or the wasteful son, it's really a story of forgiveness. It's a story of 
true forgiveness. Uh, what happens here is the son goes out and he, he squanders everything with, uh, you know, his, in, his inheritance. And, and, you know, he finds himself now hungry. He finds himself in a place of desperation. And now he finds him, uh, feeding the swine, uh, the pigs and he longs to eat, uh, of the, you know, the slop that's being given to the, the to the pigs. And the, and the point here is, you know, that being, you know, Jewish and the commandment not to eat pork, not to eat uh, the swine, and now he finds himself feeding those things that were detestable to Jewish people and longing to eat what they were being fed. The point here is that and, and this comes from Levitical law in the Old Testament. And what it was is back in those days that swine were scavengers and they would eat anything. They would eat, uh, they would even eat, you know, uh, uh, things that were, 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 were tainted, things that were, you know, filled with maggots or whatever. And the point was you did not want to eat pigs because pigs back in those days, they scavenged and their meat would be tainted. And so God was protecting them. Nowadays, there's nothing wrong with that because they're not scavengers. They're fed, uh, you know, regular meal and they're able to uh, grow with that. But back in that day, God was protecting them. And so now he finds himself eating of what was detestable. And he said, you know, if I just go back to my father and he repents here, you know, and he realizes, you know, I've sinned against uh, heaven and, and in his father's sight. And so he returns and he's willing to return just as a worker because he realizes that even just as a worker, you know, he's, he's better off. He's not expecting to receive anything, but he comes back in humility to the father. And this is the point of the story. And the father, when he sees him return, the father doesn't wait for him to come all the way back. The father runs to him. And then the father puts the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, robe on his his his, his back, and kills the fatted calf. The point here is that as he comes back in humility to the Father, knowing what he's done, confessing what he's done, the Father forgives him. And this is what true forgiveness is. True forgiveness is that person has the same place in your life that they had before they sinned against you, before they hurt you. Now realize that what happens in the kingdom of God when we enter the kingdom of God, it is through forgiveness, it's through our humility, our acknowledgement that we are sinners and we confess that sin before Almighty God. And God restores us in that relationship, the kingdom of, of, of God. What is this like? You know, we talk about the mustard seed. You know, what is it like? It's basically like our relationship is before the fall, before Adam and Eve fell. We have a relationship with God. We finish our days out here on earth, but the kingdom of God and, and, and living with God in all eternity in heaven, we are back in that right standing with God where we walk and talk with God on a regular basis. And so this parable here of the lost son is about true forgiveness. But notice the danger here for the church. The danger for the church is that we can be the older brother, that we can be judgmental and say, why is this 
person? Uh, why are we making merry? Why are we rejoicing over this person? Look, he was a sinner. He did all those things. And for people that say have been raised in the church, or maybe if you feel like you didn't go through uh, that hard of a trial and that you were always walking with God, and now this person who maybe has been a, a sinner all their lives and now towards the end of their life or whatever, they come into the church and we rejoice over their salvation. The danger here is that we become judgmental and judge uh, them like the older brother here who says, you know, you never did this for me. You never, you never killed a fatted calf for me so I could rejoice. The point here is that when someone is lost and now they're found and they come to God, we should all rejoice over this. It's not about when they come. It's about the fact that they have come. And this is true forgiveness. And this is the story of the parable of the lost son. Once he was lost, but now he's found. He's returned. And he's returned in a, in a, in a point of humility, in a point of repentance. And so true forgiveness is extended to him. And this is what God does with us. That when we humbly come back to God, he accepts us where we're at. And, and in a sense, we, you know, that ring is put back on our finger. That robe is put on us. And this is why people rejoice over every single salvation. This is why we should rejoice of every single salvation, uh, that comes. And what's, and another parable that's tied to this is the next one, the parable of the rich man in Lazarus. So this is also in Luke. This is in Luke chapter 16, I'm reading verses 19 to 31. And look what's going on here in this particular passage. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. This means royalty. Uh, purple and fine linen is, is, uh, is, is something that royalty would wear or someone that would had a lot of money and status. Uh, so he dressed in purple and fine linen and gaily living and in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sore. Verse 22. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. Hades is another word for hell. He being in torment, he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus was in his bosom. And Father Abraham, this is a reference to uh, Jews. This is a representation here of, of, of you know Father Abraham. In verse 24, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us is there's this great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here and to you may not be able and that no may cross over to where 
over from here to us, for from there to us. It's almost kind of like if you've ever been to the, the Grand Canyon and you stand on one side and you see this great expanse and you, you, you can't bridge it. You can't get over there. And this is what he's talking about between heaven and hell. There's no highway. There's no bridge. There's no gray area. It's fixed. You cannot uh, get over to the other side. Verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, unless they come also to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. What he's saying is they have the word of God. Let them read that. Let them understand what what it says there. Verse 30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. What it said here in this parable, it says that, you know, you have scripture and scripture should be good enough for you. If you don't believe scripture, you're not going to believe a miracle. You're going to be satisfied for the moment, but you're, it's not going to change your life. It's almost kind of like, remember back when we had 9-11 and all of a sudden all these people came into the church. Right? Because they were afraid of what was going to happen. They were afraid that we were entering into World War III, or they didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody came into the church, but then all of a sudden, when things seemed to be better, what happened? They weren't there anymore. Because they were just there for a quick fix. They weren't there because they were believing Scripture. They weren't there because they were believing God. They were there because they 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 were concerned about what was happening. But when all of a sudden they saw it was going to be good, they went back to their old ways. It's the same thing, you know. God does miracles on a daily basis, and people don't see those miracles as coming from God. They don't see those miracles as something that is going to change their life. They just go on about their business the same way and they don't give God credit for doing all of these things. And so in this parable here of the rich man and Lazarus, the point here is that notice that the rich man, even in in Hades, in hell, he still wants uh, Lazarus to serve him. Send Lazarus to come and dip his finger, you know, in the water and cool my, 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 the flame here that I'm going through. Send Lazarus to my, to my family. You know, the idea here is that, you know, he wanted, still wanted to be served. You know, Jesus didn't come, uh, to be served. He came to serve. And what does the church do? Uh, we're not to be served. We are to serve. Uh, so, you know, in these passages that we've looked at here tonight, you know, theologically, look at what we looked at. That we're to examine ourselves, you know, as that lighted lamp, our eye. We're to look at ourselves and what we're, we're, we're doing. Uh, and then realize, uh, and repent of all that. And then understand that, you know, we are, the Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is the one uh, that does ministry, that enables us to do 
uh, ministry and that, you know, that parable of the mustard seed, that the church, the action of the church, the church is there to help people and to supply their their needs and help them. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is there to help us and guide us through all of this and realize that, you know, the parable of the lost son, that people return and we should be that resource. And when people humbly uh, uh, return, we shouldn't be judging what they're doing, their, their actions, but we should be rejoicing no matter whether they 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 come to the church as a child, middle age, or in old age, we should all rejoice. But also realize, as in this parable of the rich man in Lazarus, there is no way to bridge heaven and hell. There's going to be a time when people are going to find themselves in hell and they're going to cry out and want someone to come and there's no way that that is going to happen. Understand that there is no middle ground and this is where people sometimes want to live their lives in this middle ground between heaven and hell and they think that all of a sudden if something goes bad they can just reach out and God's going to be there for them. Realize that, you know, when you preach the gospel there is a heaven and there is a hell and there's no middle ground there's no no middle road to 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 live in there and sometimes people think that's where they can live their life and they can't and that's why it's important for us to preach the gospel so that's our bible study for tonight and realize that theologically what are we talking about salvation through jesus christ he is the only way what is god doing he's showing us that and he's given us the holy spirit to guide us through that and realize that the church we're going to grow and that we should be uh have things to support and help people but when people come to us for that support we should be ready with the gospel this is how the church grows so again i just want to thank you for being with us tonight or whenever you're 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 uh, listening to this podcast, listen to the other podcasts. Encourage other people to listen to these podcasts. Is some some teaching here uh, that, that people can uh, listen to in the in the quietness of their home. So direct them to these podcasts. So we're going to continue this message next week. Remember, it will always be uploaded there for you on Wednesdays. You have it, and you'll have my outlines. Also, remember that we are online, uh, and that you can go to the website. Click on it, and it'll take you straight to YouTube. Uh, and let other people know about the YouTube page that we are our our gospel um, message, our Sunday service is is uploaded there, and you can, you can get the not only the audio but you'll get the visual audio visual on all of that. So again, if you have any questions, uh, you know about about what's being taught here and you have a question about anything here uh let me know because i will definitely address those things because again we can make this interactive because as you remember when we were doing uh bible studies in persons i would always ask questions what do you think i like the feedback so uh any questions that you might have uh email me or or uh or via phone whatever it is uh so that we can have those those questions and so we can address those concerns there. But a lot of times we get good teaching out of those questions, so that's why it's important to hear your questions. So I just thank you for being here with us tonight, and uh, just let me close in a word of prayer. 
Lord God, we just thank you for those that uh, are here listening to this uh, cast, Lord, and, and, and those that couldn't, Lord, for whatever reason, Lord. But again, Lord, it is my prayer that you watch over us during this uh, uh, troubling time that we're going through, but you also keep us together as a church. And so, Father, again, we thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us, Lord. And I ask that you just watch over our families and keep us safe from this uh uh, coronavirus, Lord, and protect us, all, all of us, Lord, and, and keep us in good health. And so, Lord, we, again, we just give you the praise and the honor and the glory. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. So again, it's Pastor Steve just signing off until next week or, and see you all on, 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 on Sunday. And so uh, just thanks and praise to God for all of you. Hope to see you soon. God bless.